I was looking at reading an article recently and it was literally titled cool homes to live in cool homes to live in and CNN did this uh, article on some of the most uh, unique places that you can possibly call home and uh, I thought it was absolutely fascinating the the first home on their list was uh, that you could live in a cave you could live in a cave uh, for 1.5 million dollars it's three bedrooms three and a half bath the interior walls are formed by the natural rock of the cave the natural nooks and crannies of the cave have been adapted to serve as the closets and the places where you put your appliances the best feature of all there's no central ac because the internal temperatures of the cave never climb above 68 degrees Second house is a, a boulder house. You could live in a boulder for $975,000, two bedroom, two bath, and there's no need for any man-made garden since the native grasses and flowers are growing out of the living roof. Third house is a firehouse. You could actually live in a firehouse for $990,000, two bedroom, two bathroom, perfect for the kid who always wanted to be a firefighter but became an accountant. Enough garage space for five cars, fire pole, and old firefighter lockers that were converted to closets. Next house is a castle. Who doesn't want to live in a castle? Four, uh, $4.25 million, four bedroom, four and a half bath. They say a man's home is his castle, but now that can be taken literally. Oversized windows, gothic archways, beam ceilings, and cobblestone floors add to the atmosphere. And last but not least, uh, rounding out this list, you can buy an old church. You can buy an old church for $1.9 million, 11 bedrooms, nine and a half bathrooms. Repurposed church has been converted to a massive and beautiful home, a single family home that features soaring ceilings, stained glass windows, and expansive public spaces. The altar has been adapted uh, for use as a granite featured stainless steel kitchen and the choir loft has been rewired as a home theater. It's actually pretty sad. But the most sobering note was when the local newspaper interviewed the realtor who was representing the church and the realtor said that the church has lost its vision, it has no future, and the people stopped coming. What a sober reminder. All that to say is everybody needs a vision. Everybody needs a vision for life. Every, every organization needs a vision. Every, certainly every church needs a vision. I think the Bible says something about vision. Without vision, the people will perish. And so as we have been thinking about and praying through as a staff and as a session, what will the vision for Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church be? It was very important that this was something that was committed to prayer. I'm often a reminder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he stood on, in front of the Lincoln Memorial, in front of millions of people. He did not come before them and say, I have a plan. He didn't stand before them and say, I have a strategy. He said, I have a dream. And his dream was his vision and it changed the world. It turned the world upside down. 
And so more than a plan, more than a strategy, more than seven things that I want you to memorize this morning, I want to present to you a vision that I believe has the ability by prayer, by God's grace and for his glory to not only turn Coral Ridge upside down, but by my prayer is that it would turn South Florida upside down. And I wanna share that vision briefly with you this morning. If we can put it up on the screen, it's in your bulletin as well. But our vision here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church is to be a gospel-centered church that offers hope for all people in South Florida through reconciliation and renewal. Now keep that up there, and that's a lot of words, and that's a lot of uh, things that to unpack for sure. But, and we will spend the next six weeks unpacking this vision. What does this mean for Coral Ridge? But more importantly, what does it mean for South Florida? What does it mean for Coral Ridge to exist in the midst of South Florida as we move forward? And may it never be that this is merely a plan. May it never be that this is merely a strategy. This is a dream. This is a vision that I would ask you for the next six weeks to prayerfully consider being your dream as well, being your vision for this church as well. As we unpack this week after week, what does this mean for this to be our vision here at Coral Ridge in 2016, right here in South Florida, that this church would not exist just for itself, but it would exist for the sake of South Florida, and we would turn not only this church upside down, that we would turn South Florida upside down as well. But before we start unpacking this vision, it is so important for us to ground this vision with a word of truth. And that's why I picked Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, verse 20 and 21, because there are some out there this morning, and I understand, that are going, vision, dream, I don't even know what's going to happen the rest of the day. I don't even know what tomorrow's going to look like, let alone a dream for the next 30 years for this church. And so for some of us, we have to get reoriented and recalibrated and understand before we move forward together with a new vision in this new day of ministry here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, there are three things this morning being pulled from these simple verses that I want us to unpack, that I want us to lay down as the foundation for our church and for our vision, this vision moving forward. And there's three things I want us to identify this morning, three things I want this church to remember and never forget as we move forward together on August 14th, 2016. The first thing I want us to look at And we're going to actually move backwards this morning. We're going to start at the end of Ephesians 3 and work our way backwards. But the first thing I want us to see here in Ephesians chapter 3, the verses that we read this morning, that for a church, for this church in particular, the church in Ephesus, and be reminded that this was a church that had a lot of similarities. It was living, the, the Ephesus was an area of the world that was very similar to ours. It was busy and it was bustling and it was secular and there was a lot of competing ideas and philosophies and religions. It was a very interesting place to be in, but it was very challenging to be a Christian, to be a church in Ephesus. 
And if you remember the series from the spring, we talked about the challenges that the church in Ephesus had. It, it was a challenge to survive. This, this band of ragamuffin uh, individuals living in this, uh, in this uh, city called Ephesus with all of the attacks and all of the challenges and all of the unpopular things that they were saying as a church and as Christians, they were wondering from day to day, how in the world will we survive? How in the world will we make it to tomorrow? And so just as the church of Ephesus had to be reminded by Paul to be put things into perspective as they move forward as a church, I want Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church to be reminded of these three things as well. And the first thing we see here is we see purpose. We see where the church gets their purpose. And it's actually at the end of that chapter in verse 21. What does Paul say? Paul says to him, who's him? God. To God be the glory in the church and in Jesus throughout all generations. What's he saying there? He says, I want there to be, to God be glory. In what? In two things. In the church and in Jesus Christ. In verse 21 here, the church gets its purpose. It understands why they exist. And today we have to understand why we exist as a church. We, under, we exist to do what? Reveal the glory of God. It's right here. Don't miss it. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what in the world is glory? It's one of those words that we've heard. It's one of those words we're familiar with. But what exactly is glory? Glory, glory is simply this. It's the, it's the revelation. It's the revealing of God's beauty, of God's power. Anytime throughout the Old Testament where, you, where God revealed himself to his people, it was considered his what? His glory. And so what Paul is trying to say here is God will be revealed, his glory, his power, his beauty, through what? Through the church. That's why we exist. We exist to reveal the glory of God, the power and the beauty of God, so that when people are walking in these doors here at Coral Ridge and in the streets and in our communities and in our neighborhoods, they would come in contact with you, the church, the church, our people, and they would go, they'd be blown away by the work of God. They'd be blown away by the power and the beauty and the majesty of God. That's why you exist. And I think it's an amazing thing that God, in his infinite wisdom, could have chosen any other means by which he would reveal himself. And he said, I will do it through my church. I will do it through weak, lowly, worn out vessels. I will do it with a, a bunch of ragamuffin men as, known as the disciples in the New Testament. I, I, will, I, will, I will use somebody by the name of Saul of Tarsus uh, that I will radically transform his life. And I will even use Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church to reveal my glory, to reveal my power, to reveal my beauty. So the first thing we have to understand as a church is where does our purpose come from? You have to always remember that we exist, our purpose, we are here to demonstrate the beauty and the power and the glory of God. But not only do we find purpose here in Ephesians chapter 3, the other thing that we see is power. 
We see purpose and power, and it's found in verse 20. What does Paul say? To him that is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to what? According to the power that is at work within you. Paul wants us to understand that there is real power, that the world is longing for power, the world is searching for power. You are looking for power and strength. And Paul says that there is power, but what kind of power? If you're familiar with the letter to the Ephesians, he explains what this power is in Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 through 20. He has already defined for us that power. Let's pull it up on the screens. Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 through 20. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And the have it, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Keep that up there. Paul defines for us what this power is. This power in Ephesians 3 that is in you is the same power that God used to raise his son from the dead. So when the church says, where do we get our power? Where do we get our strength? Not only in the church, where in life? Every single person here in this morning came in with heavy burdens and laden with baggage and chaos and the burdens of life and of this week. And so it is a fair question for you to ask this morning, how in the world do I get this power? Where does my strength come from? And Paul says, your strength does not come by your own strength and your own might and your own ability, but it is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead that is now at work within you. Where does your power come from? It is resurrection power. As I often pray with people, if you've prayed with me up here, I often pray for people that come down and they say, I, I, I have cancer and it, and it seems absolutely hopeless. Uh, I, I, you know, my, my marriage is on the rocks and there's, there's absolutely no hope. My, my kids are, have abandoned the home and, and it doesn't seem like there's any contact. I always remind you, I always remind you with this simple truth. If God has has the power to raise his son from the dead, surely he has the power to transform and resurrect your life. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, is God not able? Does God not have that type of power? The power that is able to give us the confidence that God is able to do more. He is able to do more. It would be a tragedy that if on this day, moving forward, as we think about vision, as we think about the future, that if we make the mistake that the future of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church is riding on our shoulders, it would be a tragedy if we thought the future and the success of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church was riding on our ability and on our strength and on our power. That's a small church. That's a church that thinks small. I want to be a part of a church that says, no, no, no. Our power comes from the very resurrection of God. And it gives us the confidence to be able to make audacious comments like this, that God is able to do more. 
He's able to do more here at this church. He's able to do more in your life this morning. God is able to do more. And the beautiful thing is this. Because our ability and our strength is dependent on the resurrection power of God, we no longer have to go through life thinking that our approval is dependent on our power, that our approval is dependent on our strength and our ability, but that the power that is at work within us is dependent on the ability and the power of God to do more. I'm not able, but God is able. My hope isn't in my success or my ability, it's in Him, the one who is able to do more That's power. There's a lady by the name of Mary Nelson. Mary Nelson spent her life in St. Louis and Mary Nelson spent her entire life praying that God would give her a child. It seemed like he would never answer that that request. And one day in her guard, she had dreams of having a, a large family. I think she wanted five children in particular. And one day she was working in her garden in St. Louis. And uh, she said, God, this is the last time I'm going to pray. Just give me a sign. Give me a child. One child. One child. Give me one child and I'll never pray again for another child. Just give me one. Well, nine months later, she gave birth. But it wasn't to a biological child. She gave birth to Crisis Pregnancy Center. Crisis Pregnancy Center is a place where moms with unexpected pregnancies can come and find refuge and find hope. It's where they can talk about their future. It's where they can get counseling. It's where they can have a hot meal and, 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 and seek shelter from the storms of life. Mary Nelson was just praying for one child because of Mary Nelson and because of Crisis Pregnancy Center. God said, I am going to do more. And it's because of Crisis Pregnancy Center that not only has God given birth to one child, that God has rescued thousands of children all over this world because of Crisis Pregnancy Center. Mary Nelson prayed for one child. Thousands of children have been rescued. I shared with our staff a few weeks ago that last November, November 2015, marked a very low moment for me. Anybody that knows what we went through the last 18 months, I can understand why. And it was in November 2015 that, and as I shared with our staff, it's, it's some of the things that the, the pastor probably shouldn't confess, but I doubted. I doubted. I doubted Coral Ridge. I did. I said, are you, are you done? Are you done with Coral Ridge? Are you done with this place? Everything that we went through, everything that we suffered through, and I, I questioned my call, I, I questioned the, the future, I questioned absolutely everything. And it was in November 2015 that God took me to Ephesians 3. I said, not only is God not done, God is able to do more. And it was from that point on 
that this passage played a very pivotal role in my hope for the future of this church and in my hope for my calling moving forward. And I have never been more convinced a day in my life ever since I have read that passage over and over and over again that not only is God not done here at Coleridge Presbyterian Church, but God gave me so much confidence that actually God is able to do more. And the reason I share that with you this morning is that as we unpack that vision for the next six weeks and that vision that is in your bulletin, I would love nothing more. Listen to me. I would love nothing more that if in a year, three years, five years, 10 years, 30 years from now, God blows that vision out of the water and says, you guys, the vision was nice, but it was so small. But I'm the God that is able to do more. I would love to be proven wrong. God is able to do more. God is able to do more in your life, and God is able to do more in the life of this church. I'll end here. The last thing that we see, not only do we see purpose and power for the church, we see an incredible promise. And we see this promise that uh, for the church that God is able to do more, but this promise is rooted in something. It's grounded in something, and we actually have to go back a little further than what we read this morning. And in verse 17, if you're in chapter 3, in verse 17, we see what this promise is rooted in. What gives us the confidence this morning to believe that God is actually able to do more? Go back to verse 17 of Ephesians 3. So that, it's up on that screen. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth or the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What Paul is trying to say there in Ephesians chapters 3 verse 17 is that this promise, this hope for, for the future, the confidence that we have this morning that God indeed is able to do more is rooted and grounded in the love of God that actually for us us to move forward as a church with confidence, we first have to look back. We have to look back at the cross. We say, where is our confidence grounded? It's when I look at the cross, when I look at the amazing love of God, and I see the width and the height and the depth and the length of the love of God. What Paul is trying to say here is when you see the love of God that has no limits, when you see Jesus on a cross, when you see Jesus being resurrected from the dead on your behalf, when you see the limitless nature of the love of God on your behalf, that gives you all the confidence in the world. If God loves me that much, the width and the height and the length and the depth of the love of God, surely, surely we can move forward in faith knowing that God is able to do more. But we must dwell and never forget what God has done in the past for us. And when my hope and faith is grounded in what God has done for me, I can now move forward with great confidence and great hope. Napoleon, when he was leading his revolution, 
went in to conquer Spain and uh, when, the, when Napoleon and his armies were conquering Spain, they uncovered all of these ancient uh, dungeons and prisons. And in one of the prisons in particular that was used for the Spanish Inquisition, there was still a prisoner, a Christian, shackled. Only the skeleton and bones remaining. And on all the wall of the dungeon, there was a cross that he had etched in the dungeon. And above the cross, it said, who will rescue us in Spanish? And underneath the cross were these four words, width, depth, height, and length. How deep, how wide, how long is the Father's love for us? How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the Father's love for you? This church, your life is grounded in this love. And when this love that Paul says, with all the saints we strive to comprehend, is coupled with this reality of the limited, limitless nature of God's power, the power that is work within you, that he's able to do more than you can imagine. This unbelievable love and this unbelievable power, this unbelievable love for you and this unbelievable power that he has over his church, when that is coupled together, it blows your mind, it shifts paradigms, and it causes Paul to shout and to sing in this word of praise here in verses 21 through 20 through 21. And I pray that the reality of his power and his love over you and his church causes you to sing with confidence this morning as we move forward by faith. And so I'll end with this question. Would you believe with me? Would you believe with me that God is able to do more here at Coral Ridge? Would this day be a day that we never forget, August 14th, 2016, as the day we said together, yes, I believe. Not according to my power, not according to my strength, not according to my ability, but according to the power, the resurrection power that is at work within you and at work within this church, would you commit this day to believing that maybe, maybe by God's grace, the best days of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church are yet to come? Would you believe that with me today? That this would be a day that we never forget. The day we move forward by faith, the day we said together, yes, I believe God is able to do more.